0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, listeners all, pull up a pew, uh, stop the car, put your headphones on, whatever it is you like to do to make yourself comfortable at podcast time. Um, welcome to an exciting episode of the Madam's Cast. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very relaxed and looking forward to the conversation coming up. I've got a guest on the show Who's a food writer? Now, I know we have a lot of food authors on. That's probably my own bias coming in. But we've not had one for a little while. So I felt like it was time to have another one. Um, Or at least not a a traditional recipe writing kind of person. We have had a forager recently obviously writes her own books. But um, all right, okay, I admit it. There's lots of bookie people on my podcast. And I'm not ashamed about that. I welcome it. Um, And so I am very excited and also a little bit um, a little bit nervous because today's guest is a proponent of the pressure cooker, which is something, although I have one, I do not use it for very much. So I'm a bit nervous that I'm going to be on the back foot with that one. I don't know a lot about it, so it'll be fun to find out and learn more. Uh, she's got a brand new book out uh, called The Modern Pressure Cooker, and her name is Catherine Phipps. Catherine,
1: are you there? Hello, I am, yes. And um, can I just correct you very very slightly on something i've got something wrong already (laughs) The, the title of the book is modern pressure cooking
0: oh sorry sorry right let me write it out probably modern pressure
2: cooking
1: and, and to be fair to you, um, The Modern Pressure Cooker was one of the titles we thought about. We went back and forth on whether it should be that or modern pressure cooking. So you were nearly right.
0: OK, when I was at school, I got um, an H, a grade H for my handwriting. Um, <laughs> and, and what I've done there is I've written exactly what you told me and what my research told me the name of the book. And I've just failed to read my own shorthand properly in the in the intro to the show there. So <laughs> I knew I was going to have trouble with you. <laughs>
2: I'm well, sorry.
0: No, 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 not at all, not at all. If writers um can't be pedantic, particularly about the titles of their own book, then what has the world come to? That would be a bad place to be, and I don't want to be there. So, welcome, Catherine, author of Modern Pressure Cooking. Thank um, you. I'm, <laughs> I'm delighted to have you here. I'm really looking forward to finding out what you'd like to change about the world of food. But first, we'd like to know a little bit about you because um your name came up on the madam's cast way back in the early days when the lovely sarah pedigree from braised cottage pies was on and she was blethering all on about your book and i remember thinking oh i must do more pressure cooking and then that got forgotten and went out the window and i haven't done it um so i want to know a bit more about you because you clearly didn't you know you weren't born with a pressure cooker in your hand
1: absolutely not no in fact i think i was probably as scared of them as um a lot of people still seem to be when i was a child um it was one of those things my mum used to drag out every so often, usually Christmas. She used to steam the Christmas puddings in them and the, the, the kitchen would be, you know, filled with this fug of steam and hissing kind of monstrous stuff going on. Mm, so, mm. yeah, I, I wasn't very keen on them at all when I was younger. Um, so, yeah, about me. Well, God, it's hard to know where to start with that question, isn't it? So, <laughs>
2: um,
1: and especially how you get into food writing. So if I go right back to the beginning, um, I grew up in a very kind of first principles um, small holding. So lots of animals around, growing our own veg, um, growing our own fruit, lots of foraging. Um, Everything was cooked from scratch until my early teens when my mum's job took over a bit and then Mm -hmm. things got a little bit more relaxed. But... Food was a massive, massive part of life um, when I um, was at home. And then when I moved to London, and that was a bit of a culture shock, because I went from a tiny, tiny little hamlet in North Lincolnshire, which oh. had a telephone box, which I lived in, in my mid to late teens. <laughs> um, <laughs> pre-mobile phone days yeah, as yeah, well, yeah, so yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it was the only privacy I got. Um, yeah, and a and a post box, and that was it. And then I kind of moved to London, South London to Goldsmiths, which was so exciting. yes, yeah. Not least because of the different food that was suddenly available. You know, you grow up in North Lincolnshire and there's an Indian restaurant and a Chinese restaurant in every small town. And that's pretty much all the um exposure you get to different cuisines mm. and then suddenly in London with you know the Caribbean and the African food especially in that part of London and yeah, what yeah. you could see in the markets and everything it was just amazing so I still cooked a lot at university um and then kind of meandered off into doing all the kind of conventional stuff and trained to be a lawyer and decided I did not want to do it um, and settled on food instead and Got a very, very lucky break at The Guardian. Um, and that was it, really. So oh, wow.
2: wow. Some,
1: somebody told me, because I, I had a blog, and it was a private blog just for my friends. And I would uh-huh. write a lot about food and food ethics, especially in recipes. And I'd um, lived in the Caribbean quite by accident for a little while and helped somebody put their cookery book together and mm-hmm. was cooking in a little boutique-y restaurant, um, hotel restaurant, which was great fun. And didn't quite know how to become a food writer. And somebody suggested that I start writing below the line on the Guardian word of mouth site. Mm-hmm. And I did. And got picked up by the editors. And then one of the first pieces I did, well, actually not one of the first, but one, you know, within the first year of doing that, I did a piece on pressure cooking because I discovered it and yeah. immediately fell in love with it. Um, and out of that, I got my first book deal to write a book on pressure cooking. And everything has come from that since in the last kind of 12, 13 years. So I was very, very lucky, really lucky.
0: Amazing, amazing. Well, And and, and also a little bit of a metaphor for life in London, really. It's a bit like being inside a pressure cooker most of the time.
1: Yeah, it is actually, it feels very pressurised, very stressful a lot of the time. So anything that makes it a bit easier in pressure cooking, conversely, <laughs> certainly does. So. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I can see we're not going to have any trouble from you getting you back to the subjects of pressure cooking. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> so
0: you well, still... you led me
1: nicely into that one too. Oh, I, know, case, I so. know, I know,
0: I it's, know. It's, um, it's my friendly nature. And um, OK, so just to wrap that up nicely then, are you still, you're still in London, right?
1: Yeah, I am. I'm in um, Hanwell, West London.
0: Oh, West London. You've moved from South East London to West London. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, no return trips to the Caribbean plan to write any more cookbooks out there. Oh,
1: I wish. No. Um, You know what it's like. Family kind of pulls you back, doesn't it? And um, we're in we're in West London for family reasons. And um, yeah, I still long to move there.
2: That, (laughs) That was the big
1: plan before children came along. That was the plan to to move to Dominica permanently.
2: Wow, but,
0: um, wow. Well, maybe... it's certainly, certainly in need of some good food out there. I mean, I know there's some good places to eat, but uh, my experience of the Caribbean, unfortunately, was mostly imported American food. And I remember driving frantically mm. around Antigua trying to, you know, buy local vegetables to cook in my oh, kettle. it's
1: so hard. <laughs> it is so hard. I mean, Dominique is slightly different because, I mean, it's one of the islands that is still quite recognisable. It's still you know, very much dominated by rainforest. And nice. it's it's referred to as the breadbasket of the Caribbean because all the markets in the Caribbean are served by boats from Dominica. So yeah. it's really easy to get very, very good produce on Dominica. They're, you know, there's still horrible things like, oh, you know, the really disgusting American flour that everybody has to use just yeah. because of the import duties and all the kind of nonsense that they tie themselves in knots.
2: With.
1: but um no i i know exactly what you mean there's there's this preponderance to think that what everybody wants is either horrible american food or a kind of bastardization of 1970s 80s european food um,
0: yeah and oh but, you, yeah that's exactly it's like you it's as if you were in the hotel um yeah. that is that is exactly that is exactly it
1: but there are a lot of other people there are a lot of people doing really good things there you just have to nowhere to look for it go I and guess. find them
0: yeah well we yeah. did do that we did we, we hired a car and popped off and managed to do a little bit better for ourselves which was quite nice um oh wait right, hang on this has turned into uh, you and i exchanging tips on where to eat in the caribbean <laughs> and that, that mustn't that mustn't happen so i'm delighted that you and your family are in west london um i'm up in northeast scotland we're yeah. using the magic of the internet to create a vortex into which we can step through that vortex we can Uh, we can find ourselves in an identical yet more malleable world than the one in which we inhabit daily. And that gives us the power, or you specifically in this instance, gives you the power of three magic beans to plant, and each of those will grow into a new vine of food. So it's up to you to change three things from this world into that one about the world of food that you would like to change. And these can be as flippant or as uh, as studious as you like they can be as overarching or as zoomed in and micro as you please but you only get three although they often overlap and some people seem to end up with about a dozen but you know we'll mm. we'll skate over that fact um are you feeling like you're ready
1: yes i am um now yeah you're quite right i was trying to decide whether to go really big or really small with this and I think I've ended up somewhere in between and one of them is very relevant to pressure cooking and I'm going to leave that one till last.
2: Okay, um, okay.
1: But, okay, the first one oh, is oh, wow. that I want to um, I want to change a lot of the dialogue around food um, so it kind of instills people with a little bit more respect for it and in doing so I would like to ban some very specific things I'd really like to ban competitive eating that is the biggest thing
0: yes I
1: cannot bear it it makes me um let let me just set the scene a a little bit that this was a very very long time ago but even actually thinking about it makes me feel really really ill so um You know, I feel as though I'm taking one for the team a bit here because I know my stomach's going to flip at some point. Okay. So so years and years ago, I was um, idly channel um, flicking on the television. And suddenly on, on the screen, there was this absolutely massive stadium with people baying and screaming and yelling. And there were three platforms in the middle of this stadium with two, three people sitting at tables and three huge dumper trucks rolled into this stadium and they were filled with mayonnaise and I suddenly realised that I was watching a competitive eating competition and they were going to be eating as much mayonnaise as they could And the commentator in his American accent, which I'm not going to try to do, was, well, remember, folks, um, you know, mayonnaise isn't actually a foodstuff, it's a condiment. And at that point, I just ran to the bathroom. I just felt so disgusted and so ill. It was just, it was horrible. Um, And when, and and the, the idea of that ties in with so much of, the kind of disrespect we have for food. Um, I mean, even going back to my son's nursery days, when me and some of the other parents, and I know this sounds a bit po-faced and as though we're kind trying to spoil people's fun, but they were trying to do things like use um, tinned rice pudding or baked beans for messy play and let the kids throw it around. And they wanted to... Um, do a mini version of you know the Valentin tomato festival yeah which again is something that I, I just I don't know whether I've, I I have a sense of humor loss over this but I just don't like it I can't bear the waste with you know we're living in a world when so many people are going hungry and it feels mm. disrespectful to them and it feels disrespectful to the food yeah. And, and it just encourages greed. Man versus food, you know, turning food into an endurance test instead of something that's supposed to be enjoyable and nurturing. And all of these restaurants following so- suit and, and just encouraging people to be greedy and it's eat as much as they possibly can. Yeah. And, and, and you see it in restaurants. You see, I mean, going back to the Caribbean, I regularly used to see mainly Americans, I have to say, um, really complain about the portion sizes because the portion sizes in the restaurants in America have developed to feed this kind of insatiable need for eating as much as you can possibly eat at any one time. And I just think it's obscene. Yeah. All of those things kind of tied in together just make me feel really uncomfortable and unhappy and and I don't think food is something that we should be so flip about
0: no there's there's something Orwellian about encouraging gluttony on that scale uh, and almost slightly Wellesian as well it's it's uh, incredibly socially irresponsible for all the reasons, you know, I mean, let's, let's list them. I mean, I'm, I'm doing my best to argue with you about this obviously by <laughs> by massively supporting you. Um, okay. Eating disorders. Number one, let's float, let's throw that out there. Number two, yeah. food waste, which you've touched on. Um, definitely there. Uh, you know, um, inequality that's, yeah. that's definitely there. I mean, you know, what, we produce enough food on this planet to feed it comfortably. And because of wasteful practices and greed, let's face it, um, it it doesn't happen and food ends up getting wasted. Um, you know, there's there's oh, there's so many things I don't like like about this idea. (laughs) So many things (laughs) I don't Do you know, and actually competitive eating is not something I've ever thought about beyond so in Dorset they have a they have a stinging nettle eating competition. Oh, um, which um, which is just you you win by eating the most yards of stinging nettle and I, and I'm sort of like well okay I can sort of see that the machismo of that it's a bit of fun whatever it's not really wasteful because you know stinging nettles are everywhere whatever but you could have made a nice soup out of them mm. <laughs> and had a nice afternoon so I'm not sure I'm, I'm even sort of keen on that but um, that's that's I suppose up to them yeah I'd say any other dialogue you want to change around food
1: loads absolutely loads in fact both of my other two points kind of lead into that okay
0: okay so we won't spoil those
1: yeah a lot of it is about dialogue a lot of it is changing the narrative in so many ways because I just feel as though the further the further we go down this route of talking about food the more polarized it becomes um and the last thing we need at the moment, with regard to food, is polarisation. Mm. Um, I mean, if shall I start talking about my second one because that talks about that as well a lot. Or well, yeah, I think
0: yeah, no, I think we're there. I think we're there. I mean, I'm sort of I'm I was just going through in the back of my mind to see. I'm interested in your in this first bit about banning uh, the competitive eating purely mm. because. I hadn't realised it was such a thing. I mean, a lot of the world of food television and internet has has passed me by. I'm blissfully ignorant mm. of a lot of those things, um, and I and also you know I wonder if it's slightly pointless, um, you know, encouraging the sort of endurance eating. I mean, anyone who's ever had to endure a 1980s railway sandwich oh. would be perfectly capable of understanding what man versus food should 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 ultimately be as a challenge.
2: I
1: okay, mean, I mean, I think we've all had times when we've had to eat when we really feel as though we can't you know i i've i remember wading remember wading through meals when i felt really ill yeah and eaten because of politeness um, and not wanting to offend or upset yeah and eating things that i don't like for that reason as well um and it's it's like a form of torture it really is it's so uncomfortable Putting something, oh, yeah.
0: I'm reminded of a story um, from the brilliant James Herriot books of a vet's life. Oh,
1: the fat.
2: Yes,
0: exactly. Exactly. And he ends up eating this, has to eat this boiled uh, bacon fat because the farmers have invited him in for breakfast. I can't believe it. And it hasn't been
1: ground, and he has to use a massive jar of piccolily to get through it Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I love
0: it. Oh, I can't believe you've got exactly that in your head, but it is that sort of thing. And I think every child, every grown up can remember a moment as a child when they were sort of somehow compelled to eat something that mm. you know the fussy children you know children being wasteful that's something we have to teach them about it can't you know it can't just be thrown away and let go and all of that I totally get that I've got my own kids little humans yeah. that they are I know what the challenges are but back in the day when I was young um it was you know very often the case that you weren't allowed anything unless you cleared your plate. And if someone had put something yeah. on there at Sunday lunch that you really just, I mean, a high pheasant meat at the age of six, yeah, and you're like, Well, I've got to eat this, otherwise, I can't have any trifle. And I'm literally bilious with, yeah, you know, so yeah, I, I'm with you in that. And I think that in think, these situations, so many long term eating disorders are, yeah, are and, I th- and I
1: think. I think, as grown ups, we forget how heightened your senses are as a child,
2: yeah your
1: sense of smell, which feeds so much into um, your sense of taste, is really heightened i mean i I had awful issues with my stepdaughter when i when she was very little, and I just started weaning my um son, who's three years younger than her mm-hmm. um And she used to scream at every mealtime because she'd gone from a diet of fish fingers and sausage rolls and baked beans and petit filou to me trying to get her to eat the food we were eating. And it was such a struggle. But she was a child who could be reasoned with. Yeah. Um, And eventually I thought of something that I knew she would like and sat her down and said, right, I'm going to make a deal with you. I'd like you to try... Everything I put on your plate, every mealtime. And if you are honest and if you tell me that you don't like it, I'm not going to make you eat it. But, I, you know, I want you to discover new foods that you like because really we're very, very limited at the moment. You know, she was three and a half at the time, but I could have that conversation with her. And the first thing I gave her was prawns. And the reason I gave her prawns was because she loved fish fingers and she'd got a very sweet tooth. And she was terrified of the look of them. And she tried one, and she was immediately, oh, Dodo. Oh, Dodo, that's her pet name for me. But yeah. um, Dodo, um, I love them. And that was it after that. Brilliant. Um, and it worked. But it doesn't work with a lot of children. And, and I don't know how we got from this stage where you eat everything on your plate or you don't get your trifle, which was certainly what happened in my house. Yeah. Um, and I had an absolute horror of my mother's porridge. <laughs> um,
0: bad porridge is bad porridge horrific
1: bad porridge that sat on the back of the rayburn and got grayer and lumpier oh. and yeah i just I, I still can't eat porridge actually i make it for everyone else in fact they yeah. make their own now thank goodness but uh, it's it's my yeah it's the one thing for me so i do have some sympathy with it but i, I don't know how in such a short period of time we got from clean your plate, to, oh, poor little Sammy doesn't like, I don't know, Coco Van, let's make him a ham sandwich.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. I'm with you. I've I've taken exactly the same approach as you. Um, I don't force my children to eat things, but they have to try everything. And they have to try everything, not just once. So it it will come back next year. You know, if you don't like olives this year, you might have an olive next year. You might not like it still. Fair enough. Exactly. Because
1: it takes, what is it, if you're a child, eight to ten times for you to be tolerant of something or actually like it, if you go from a position of actively disliking it.
0: Yeah, I'm like that with Greek wine. I think. (laughs) (laughs) The
1: retsina. Yeah, I've had (laughs) a few bad ones in my time. Um, Yeah. yeah.
0: A good one is great. A bad one is terrible. Right. Okay. Um, Well, that's That's changing the dialogue, banning competitive eating for all the reasons around it. That's that's great. Plant that seed, change that world. The world is better. Fantastic. I'm 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 very much with you there. Um, It leads us, you know, sails us on through to the next next point. Um, Okay. what do you you fancy?
1: Okay, so this one is also a lot about respect and it's also a lot about polarisation that's going on at the moment. And, and you could apply this to, to most foodstuffs in some form or another. But what I would like to do is wind back to a time when we had a lot more respect for the protein that we eat and that we treated it in a very, very different way. So I'm talking about how we used to eat protein Before it was industrialized, Mm. before that aspect of fun, so you can see how this would apply to virtually anything. But I think those things in particular, and and the ones that get me most of all are chicken, pork, salmon, and prawns. Those four things in particular.
0: Hold on, hold on. We need to extend the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, you well, I, Okay, I'll, I'll let you carry on. I'm not. I, I interrupted. I shouldn't have done. Carry on.
1: I'll try. I'll try to keep it brief. But I think that's what, what has happened. And this is obviously since the 1940s and 50s, and then, you know, industrialization, supermarkets, um, people being. Supermarkets having a lot to do with people, how people are disassociated from where their food comes from.
0: Haven't they just.
1: Um, but also what things like the World Trade Organization have done, you know, how they have ruined the ecology of half of the S- Southeast Asia because of encouraging people to um, have prawn farms, you know, salmon farming in Scotland, battery mm-hmm. chickens, people being used to seeing these forms of protein as Convenient flavour carriers, as opposed to being celebrated for what they actually are, and you don't celebrate them for what they actually are anymore because all their flavour and taste has disappeared if you were Mm. buying them in that way. I know there are so many really good producers who are making who, who are breeding incredible chickens that taste like chicken. I I wrote a whole book on chicken years ago, and the whole ethos of the book was buy a whole chicken, buy the best chicken you can afford. And these are all the things you can do with it to make it um, a viable proposition economically. Can
0: I let you in Um, on a secret? Yeah. I've read it. Have you? (laughs) Yeah, I've read that. And I've read Planet Chicken by Hattie Ellis as well. Which,
1: which was, yeah, which informed my book quite a lot, I think. I think she's wonderful.
0: Mm -hmm. Um. Sorry, I've interrupted again. Carry no, on. No, but but you, <laughs>
1: see, but you see where I'm coming from.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, well, um, let me tell you, regular listeners, <laughs> regular I listeners know. of the Madams Cast are sitting there with their head in their hands, going, "She's only gone and mentioned the four biggest bugbears in his whole life." Yeah, so absolutely, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm I'm, what i'm doing at the moment is sitting on my hands trying to resist the temptation to leap in so So, you carry on carry on let
1: let me just mention a few little points first of all the fact that disassociation i know so many people who will only buy chicken if it's cut up in little mini breast fillets yeah because they don't want to touch it they don't care about any of the issues around it and 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 i don't get what's going on in food when this happens that people who i know who are comfortably off who are who try to be ethical in various ways just do not give uh, monkeys about where their chicken came from because all they're going to do is smother it in green thai green curry sauce or whatever Mm, mm, you know mm, mm. um and that really annoys me. And yet at the same time, they're talking about, oh, well, how can we green up the school fair? Let's make it vegan. <laughs> and and that's where the polarisation comes from for, for me, because at, at one point they're still buying their battery chickens and the pork. And you know that most of and, and a lot of them have come off red meat to go on to pork and chicken, which is a ridiculous thing to do because most pork and chicken in this country is fed soya yeah
2: um
1: the i don't even know where to go i don't even know where to carry on with it Um, yeah yeah i just find it so depressing yeah i think if if you're an omnivore and i'm resolutely an omnivore you know growing up on a on a small holding and seeing where your meat came from Mm -hmm. um you you are you i think you go either one of um two ways you run screaming for the hills and become a vegan or you try to be the most ethical omnivore you can yeah and I definitely went down the latter route um and I have to say I struggle with it sometimes I do um but I just know I can't be any other way so that's it really Yeah. but I just I just feel as though if we roll back to, yeah, getting back to my original point, which I've (laughs) run off a little bit.
0: (laughs) No, 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 no. If,
1: If we roll back to that place where people had respect for meat and dairy and fish and were eating it in a very, very different way, a lot of the arguments that are going on today about how veganism is the one thing that would save the planet would disappear. Because yeah. we would all be eating a lot less meat, and we would be eating it in a more respectful way and in a more intelligent way um and we so we would all need a lot less of it, yeah. so all the arguments about oh well, we need intensive farming because otherwise we can't feed the x billion people on the planet would just disappear mm-hmm. and and it's oh i don't I don't even know i i know i've Picked on four particular forms on protein. They're
0: good ones. They are good ones. They
1: they are good ones. But the whole thing about meat, it ties into, I mean, it kind of ties into my first point about food being used in a very flick way for entertainment. Because, of course, another meat that gets wasted hugely is game. Mm. Because, I mean, how many birds are slaughtered a year and not eaten?
2: Well,
0: not very many this year, I can tell you, because the game rearing industry in the United Kingdom is extremely, almost exclusively reliant on egg production in France. Right. And because of the bird flu outbreak in France, it won't be happening.
1: <laughs> well, so you know what? A lot of I bird
0: cance- cancelling being cancelled, which is um, is no bad thing in my mind.
1: No, nor mine, actually. And I know that will upset a few people. But I just think that, again, it's obscene. I think, you know...
0: Yeah, game shooting something that's quite close to my heart and I, um, I hold a lot of it in abhorrence and people ask you, well, where do you draw the line? And I, I always say, well, you know, if you can't eat what you've shot, you shouldn't be shooting it in the same way that I wouldn't slaughter a pig just... Just for the fun of slaughtering a pig, for the action the of slaughtering a the pig, yeah. um, there there are times when to manage an environment, animals will need to be killed that are not going to be directly eaten by you. Mm. For example, if you wanted to protect a crop of clover from pigeons or something like that, yeah, you know, th- the result of that is then the most eth- most ethical meat you could ever produce because it's a byproduct of protecting a different crop. You know, to not eat it then becomes wasteful, etc. So that's mm. the argument way that round for me. Um, it, it and. The reason that this happens in shooting is the same reason that it happens with your um, point number one and, and for the rest of the things in point number two is because food production has become, to an extent, about profit.
1: Of and, course it has. Yeah. And and I, And, oh, I don't know, really, food has become way too cheap. It's so inequitable mm. that the people producing the food, and this is a global thing, it's not farmers here, it's not people producing avocados in mexico and limes in mexico it's not slave labor on chocolate um cocoa plantations it's you know it's everywhere everyone everywhere people are working in food they are not given the respect of a decent wage and there's this endless thing about driving down the cost of food whilst the profits seem to go stratospheric for the middle men mm. um and everyone says, oh, but everybody, nobody can afford to pay more for f- food. No, of course they can't afford to pay more for food because nobody bloody well gets paid properly yeah.
2: anymore. Yeah. And that's yeah.
1: something that needs to be addressed. I think you have to address basic inequalities in society before you can sort all of this out.
2: Mm-hmm. But no it should,
1: I don't understand why it's such a hard thing
0: well <laughs> well now that's another episode isn't it yeah I mean um, so another person who I know you will know as a previous guest on the pod is Mark diacono
1: yeah he's a uh, pretty good friend of mine actually yeah he's a really
0: Mark. he's a really nice chap and um he's got some very forthright views on um, on on Basic income, uh, which yeah. which are related in that, and I think you know that the world is going to go that way. We're now looking at this energy crisis, and we're all looking yeah. at each other and going, "Why is energy something that is not controlled? I mean, that's a common resource. It's a common resource. Yeah. So why is it privatized? Was that a good way of making it more streamlined in the short term? Probably, but where's it got us now? Well, now it's mm. got us to the point where the marketeers are making a fortune out of it, and people are having to choose between heating their homes. Yeah. you know and 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 eating something <laughs> and you just find ourselves in this situation again and then that will push people into the cycle of buying the cheapest possible food which exactly. will be the least healthy for them and the least sustaining for them and the worst yeah. for the environment and then we just go back around this cycle again and yeah. again and again and whatever where wherever you see cheap food being produced you see expensive healthcare.
1: yeah of course And whereas, and and I totally agree with Mark, actually, I've thought about this for a very, very long time, a universal basic income, which gives everybody the same standard of living, if that's all they did, is, I just think, I, I don't understand why it's not a given. And then really everybody don't. else,
0: you know, says, "Oh, but what about the people that don't need it?" Well, that's up to them to either give it to someone else, or yeah. invest it in a charity, or do something longer term with it. That's up yeah. to them. But the, it, the cost of administrating this ridiculous system of yeah. oh, well, you have to means prove that you need this amount of money from this society is so know,
1: much, and it's dehumanising, yeah. and all the sanctions. I mean, you can read pages and pages and pages on why people have been sanctioned and it's just yeah it's dehumanizing
0: yeah okay well we've strolled a long way from winding back the time uh, yes. to, to, a, to a time of respect for protein but I'm totally with you we must just quickly uh, I think point out that neither myself and I'm pretty sure you are not uh, although I don't want to put words in your mouth, are not anti-vegan. No, um, but absolutely I uh, absolutely <laughs> not. No, no, me neither. I love vegetables, and um, but I think, I think this there is a, a dangerous wave of of blanket ill-educated neo-veganism that is yeah. seen as a as a green talisman, uh, and yeah. I can tell you it is not that thing. If you live in a country that is populated by lots of wet grassland. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult to grow enough legumes to gain your 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 um your protein. Although I although maybe yeah. some farming some seaweed would be a good way to go, as my uh, recent guest Jeff Dam would have it. Um, so there are lots of other flexible ways around. But um, yeah, I don't hate vegetarians. I don't hate vegans. And I don't. I, I'm what I an do, open church. Yeah.
1: What 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 I do hate is the way that I feel as though we have been manipulated into making it about that polarization because there's very much this meat eaters versus vegans um, dialogue going on which I just think is completely artificial it's not what we eat it's how it's produced
0: yeah 100% and I if I was being in my most conspiracy theorist darkest moment I would say that the global retail supplier of food have got together and gone right let's get rid of this expensive irritating hard to handle short shelf life product no
1: i'm sure they have honestly i'm i'm sure it's all about them being able to find a market for you know if we're talking about big business agriculture you know things like the corn for the high fructose corn syrup they put in everything and you know i mean soon they're going to be having us eating stuff out of vats aren't they you know which again is going to be highly processed highly ultra processed which is about as far removed from the food i want to eat as it can be really wow. i don't like i don't like this whole thing about replacing um a chicken with all the different meals and stocks and schmaltz and everything else you can get out of it with you know, some ultra-processed pap that you don't know what half the ingredients in it are and and whether they're good for you or not.
0: Mm, or whether the body can even absorb them in that format and all of mm. that stuff. Again, way beyond my remit, not something I... Um... I, I fully understand the, the the nuances of nutrition and how that all works, but you know, for me, it boils down to environment. You can't survive mm. on a planet that doesn't have a functioning ecosystem, uh, and the way that yeah. we're doing things at the moment is 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 increasing the chance of that failing, not lessening it. So we need to we need to think more. And and unfortunately, it's this constant desire by everybody. Um, so I occasionally take people out mushroom foraging. I'm not a mushroom foraging expert. I know a little bit, so I take the odd friends out and we'll introduce them to a couple of species. And they're always got these, they're always looking for the hard and fast, quick cut rule. If the mushroom stains blue, you can yeah. eat it. Not necessarily. If the mushroom stains red, it's poisonous. You know, yeah. all of these things. If it's got spots on it, don't eat it. All that, all that stuff. And you're just like, look guys, there's no shortcut. Like, like the more corners you cut off, the more yeah. corners you create. And, and you can't, yeah. it's the same with, the, you know, it, it, it's not possible to go, oh, this is damaging. So I'll stop eating that. Uh, well, no, it is, It is, but it, you've got to make sure it's the right answer. And it is not mm. as simple as saying meat, no meat, fish, no fish. It, it's just not there. So um, mm. I, I don't know how we fix that, but it doesn't matter because we're in the magical world, but we can just put it right. So more respect for protein. Taking that back is there. It's happening. It's out there. It's live. So good, fantastic. Good.
1: I'm, that makes me very happy.
0: I'm feeling more comfortable already. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Right. So... Uh, wow, some good chat here, and I mean, you know, you were saying you were pitching it in the middle, and I'm feeling like this is some, um, this is pretty strong stuff. So, I'm, I'm, yeah,
1: I, I'm, I wasn't sure where we would meander off to because they're kind of, you know, little bits of big um, issues, aren't yeah, they? So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, my my long term aim one day when I've got the time uh, is to sit down with all these recordings of the Madams cast and. Uh, annotate and compile a list of the things that everybody wants to change and then mm-hmm. I'm going to cut those all together to make some shorter shows which are a bit more hard-hitting a bit more um succinct and then hopefully a series of shows about each of those three main topics so we'll, we'll see where we get through with that it might never happen I'm having so much fun doing this one <laughs> <laughs> um okay point right. number three
1: okay so this is where I'm going to start banging on about pressure cooking a bit um And I'm not going to be, you know, really um, narrow it down in the way Sarah did, because I think it wasn't one of Sarah's one things was that she wished people weren't scared of pressure cookers.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was one of those. Yeah, I think it was. Which
1: I totally agree with. And I have to I have to say, I deal with this on a daily basis. There isn't a day that goes by when I don't get a message saying or a comment saying, but I'm so scared of them because whatever. Anyway, but. Pressure cookers is part of this final um, point. And again, it's about um, the food narrative. And this one directly relates to poverty and it it, um, relates to sustainability because there is an awful lot of food writing which tries to address food in terms of sustainability Mm -hmm. and food poverty, which are two of the biggest issues I think we're... Facing at the moment, but very, very rarely do they take into consideration how the food is cooked, and I think that's just as important.
2: Yes,
0: well, I have certainly been guilty of thinking all the way along the food supply chain until it gets to my kitchen, at which yeah. point, uh, and I think may well, I have a little theory about this because I did wonder if it might go in this direction. I think there are a lot of food books are written by people not not exclusively but maybe half the food writers out there uh, have had some kitchen experience in terms of professional kitchens and mm. professional kitchens tend to have ovens on all the time yeah. because they're always being used for various different things and i mean hopefully the days of just leaving the gas on because that was the easiest thing to do have gone
2: yeah. um,
0: but certainly i think that then transfers into oh well if i want to slow cook something it's going to take this long Oh, no, no. And it will just go in the oven that's on low in the kitchen because yeah. it's on anyway and there's three other things in it. So I'm not okay. trying to make an excuse. Um, but I don't think I think there are reasons that it hasn't been considered more. Uh, but I'm looking mm. forward to hearing uh, exactly how we can do it better.
1: Well, you know, you know, the oven is the biggest thing, actually, because I was oh, I was reading a book on sustainable food the other day mm-hmm. and virtually every other dish was cooked in the oven. Um, and most of them didn't need to be
2: yeah
1: um, and it, you know it's all very well telling people to use their broccoli stems or cauliflower leaves or whatever that's all very well and good but if you if the only suggestion you're giving is roast them in the oven for 45 minutes well you know <laughs> a lot of people can't actually afford to do that anymore this yeah. isn't just affecting people on the lowest incomes in the country anymore it's affecting you know well, a lot of people. Everyone
2: everyone, everyone. everyone. Everyone.
1: Yeah. Um I'm doing a baking book at the moment and I'm wincing every time I put the oven on. So um yeah, it's um it's something that affects us all. And you know, I do want to talk about pressure cooking because I just think it's probably one of the best ways of um helping people. But you know, in in these days when the food banks are giving out food parcels for people who can afford to put their kettle on, and people who can't, mm. we really, really do need to do something about it. And and I don't think this, you know, food writing can help enormously. People writing recipes can help enormously. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, as well as championing old technology which has been very freshly engineered like a pressure cooker mm-hmm. we could go back further and and this is probably a bit way out there for most people but if somebody made hay boxes trendy
2: and yes. that started yeah.
1: fil- filtering down when you're you know doing the equivalent of the, the slow casserole in the oven thing I mean to me that's a no-brainer as well and so, uh, so how does a
0: hay box work then? What's going on there?
1: Okay, so a box is, in very simple terms, a box is insulated with hay. You make something to its piping hot on the... Bring something to boil so it's piping hot on your stovetop. Mm-hmm. Stick it in the hay box and the insulation will keep it hot and gently cook it for a few hours.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. So actually technology exists. You could just use a really good quality cool box... Chuck it in there. Make sure there's no spare space. Even put a couple of hot bricks in there that you've already heated up at the same time. And away you go. You're not using any more energy. Okay, I like that. Slow cooker. I've got a a plug-in slow cooker that trickles the juice out. Hardly uses any electric at all. I love that. And I use that quite a bit. So what has stopped me getting onto pressure cooking? And why? how much more energy efficient is pressure cooking? I mean, I'm assuming it's easy to equate from a a time point
2: of view.
1: Yeah. So so the way... Because... Price and different ovens and all the different washages yeah, yeah, and yeah. whatever. It's impossible to tell people exactly how much money they're saving. Yes, obviously. exactly. So I'm going to take it from a stovetop point of view. So if you cooked something in a pressure cooker side by side with something um, you were cooking conventionally on a stovetop, you'd shave off about 70% of the cooking time.
0: Wow, two thirds. More, or less.
1: Two third, more than two-thirds, yeah. Yeah. At
2: okay.
1: least. And some things, it's actually a lot quicker. So, um, and and the, the things that take a lot, lot less time are things that people don't actually think about doing in a pressure cooker. So, um, okay. Souffle. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you can do amazing... Egg custards, cheesecakes, all of that kind of thing, and yeah. you'll get beautifully smooth. And, and again, they're often done in a Bain Marie in the oven, aren't they? So, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I remember yeah, years
1: I... ago when I did my first book, Roly Lee let me use his parmesan custard recipe. Legend.
2: Um, and talking
1: yeah. to him about it, realised that actually, what the pressure cooker was doing in that specific uh, for that specific process. Was emulating those really high pressure steam ovens that a lot of commercial kitchens have.
2: Oh,
0: at the time that they used to have them. Yeah, I mean, you now have a combination oven that might get close to that. But I remember at college we had a incredible banked steamer oven that would you could cook, you know, one hundred and fifty suet puddings in there in about forty minutes. It was mega. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, I interrupted again. Well, it's it's
1: very similar technology, really. It's just Mm. getting that temperature up, and the temperature with a with a good pressure cooker goes up to 100 about 120 degrees
0: now i know so, that i know that yeah. because i grow my own oyster mushrooms and king oyster mushrooms and to do that oh. i need to um, pasteurize some grain to start the whole process before that grain is then used to inoculate basically waste straw
2: right. um,
0: and so i have this is the ultimate irony is i have a pressure cooker uh but i have never used it for cooking food
1: <laughs> oh okay you need to. Okay, you
0: really okay. Need to. okay. I'm gonna. Well, this is encouraging me. This is encouraging me. Can you recommend any good
1: books? Well, funnily enough, Tim. Yes, there's <laughs> an excellent book called. Now let me get the title of this right. Modern pressure cooking. <laughs>
0: Oh, what a seamless link that was. That was brilliant. Okay, so um, before we uh, delve into more of that, so I'm going to ask you in a minute to pick your favourite recipes from it, which is almost impossible for any food yeah. writer. I know that, but we can tune it into the current season and whatever. That would be fine. Um, if I'm going to be saving myself, I'm going to commit to this, because for yeah. me, this, apart from anything else, this is a change that's achievable for me. Yes. We live in a house where we have an argo, We rent this house. We have a yes. oil-fired argo, which I basically switch off for the whole summer because it's just... And it's not very good anyway um yeah and there's no point to be wasting those hydrocarbons and I, and then I've got a um I have a calor gas or you know an outdoor gas bottle so not supply into the house for a gas hob which has an electric yeah. oven and I am keen to use less of that gas so that's something I can change I can't afford to change my van to an electric van uh, because that is not happening just yet that's not going to work. And also, I believe that it should be used to the end of its natural life because of the the resources used to uh, to build it. But that's a different chat. Um, So I'm going to get myself uh, uh, a bit more pressure cooking action because that's going to save me effectively two thirds of my gas bottle per bottle, right? So I'm all up for that. That makes 100% sense to me. I'm on board. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get your book, and I'm going to be brave. That's uh, that's a commitment that I can make. So I'm going to do it. That's great. How do we get more? other people to do that
1: oh I wish I I mean I just plug away daily good for you um when I mean when my first book came out a, a decade ago it was much harder actually um I've noticed that this time round food writers who were very very resistant a decade ago are much more um open to it and that's been helping enormously, social media. Actually, people like Sarah, mm. what what I've found that helps more than absolutely anything is demonstrations. So, um, you know, I used to do some at divertimenti and, uh, you know, food festivals and that kind of thing. But the one that really got me going was the one in um, I did in Norfolk with um, Sarah and her friend. Oh, you did you do a show with Jane as well? Jane Seward, the meddler lady.
0: Yes, absolutely I did. And in yes. fact, I was in touch with her recently because she's finally writing a book about it all.
1: Yeah, she is. I'm really excited about that.
0: Mm, me
2: too, me um,
1: too. Anyway, um, so we did an evening and I think there was well, no more than 20 people there. Um, but the ones who, and I cooked a range of stuff. Um, and I think at one point I had four pressure cookers going at the same time, making tiny little chocolate fondant puddings, which take five minutes. Um, at the end of the evening Mm. and I think virtually everybody went out and bought a pressure cooker the next day.
0: It's a revolution.
1: Demonstrating works and the reason that demonstrating works is that people have got this idea about pressure cooking just being for casseroles and soups and not very nice casseroles and soups because the, the time when pressure cookers took off in the UK was during a time when we were still rationing. Mm. And, mm. and I think people equate the, the kind of food that was happening then and into the seventies when food, I think became very polarized. It was all very kind of very earthy, hippie, um, uh, small holding commune stuff which is where my parents were at or Mm -hmm. it was embracing um,
0: Finder's Crispy Pancakes
1: stuff yeah Yeah, absolutely so um, I think it got a big bad rap and the old style pressure cookers were noisy and hissy and belched out steam and people didn't know how to use them properly often which is why accidents happened Um, and they're very different today um,
2: Great.
1: So so what happens now is that I do a demonstration. People see that they are cooking virtually silently, that no steam is escaping from them. So you don't have a kitchen filled with steam.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they're safe because I show them what all the safety features are. And I literally do that by bringing the pressure cooker up to overpressure. So you do start seeing steam appear from various places because That's what the safety features are. Uh They uh are basically giving the cooker lots of outlets for steam so the pressure will stop building up. Um, And then they taste the food. And I can hand on heart say that if something doesn't taste as good or better in the pressure cooker, then I won't do it. Because I just don't think there's any point otherwise.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Okay, well, everybody else... And that's what
1: convinces people... Um, and yes it's amazing for one pot stuff it's amazing for anything that you want to braise roast pot roast um boil stew all of those processes but you know on a day-to-day basis what i use it more for anything is the things that you know a lot of people do automatically you know if you've cooked something for dinner and you want to do the side dishes of your greens How many people would just automatically boil a kettle, shove some water in a pan, wait for it to come up to boil and add the greens? Quite a lot. Quite a lot. Whereas in a pressure cooker, splash of water at the bottom, washed greens, they've still got a bit of water clinging to them, put them in the pressure cooker, high heat, bring it up to pressure, takes a couple of minutes, turn it off. It's got up to that temperature of 120 degrees, which for most green vegetables is enough to cook them to al dente. So they are perfectly green. And then that's it. Fast release and they're done. So you're not only saving fuel and time, you're also saving a lot of water as well.
0: Well, and in that instance, you know, you save the electric from boiling the kettle, you save the yep. water, you save the energy from then boiling the pan for so long. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, it goes back to my chef days of constantly telling people to put lids on pans. Yeah, you know, I mean, that was uh, that was a bugbear of mine. But anyway, okay. Well, that's it. We can change that about the world. I'm sure that you know you're on it. That's let's face it, it's happening. Um, so the pressure revolution is coming. The pressure cooking revolution is here, um, uh, uh, and that's. Uh, I'm with you as well. Let's not disregard the possibilities of solar cooking, um, yeah. and, and also as you say with your insulated box slash hay box theory too. I'm quite interested in that as well. So. Um, Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, those are three great things to change about the world of food. Thanks for coming on and changing them. Uh, <clears throat> we have to, unfortunately, return to the humdrum everyday world of brilliance yeah. from which we originally came, um, <clears throat> in which all of these points are just work in progress. But I believe we will get there. Um, so that's that's nice. And things become a little bit more light-hearted and fun now, because you have <laughs> three remaining tasks, Um, to complete before you go and one of them is and this is going to be almost impossible for you is to choose a food book that you would take on a desert island or into a desert island type scenario a drink to drink while you're perusing it and nominate somebody else to come on the Madam's Cast at some point be they alive, dead, real, fictitious willing or otherwise now I'll give you a moment to think about those things. And whilst yeah. you're thinking about those in the back of your brain, can you give us a shout as to how we can find out more about you uh, and where we can get your books?
1: Right. So you can get my books in all the usual places. But, you know, if you can bring yourself to go into a bookshop and order it, I think that would be brilliant. It's brilliant for the bookshop and it's also brilliant for visibility because one of the things that you I hear a lot from is that people... Haven't actually the booksellers haven't actually seen the book until somebody orders it, and then they might be tempted to get some more in. Yeah. So you know it helps everyone all round. That one actually. Um, Me, um, you can find me on Instagram. I do a lot of pressure cooking stuff on Instagram, um, and it's just Catherine Phipps. See what you've done there.
0: See what you've done there.
1: Yeah, and Twitter as well. You know, I get daily questions from people about pressure cooking and it's whether it's the right pressure cooker to buy or um could i explain something about a particular process or whatever you know my um m- uh, messages are always open for that um, good
0: for you good for you is that the so, same handle on twitter no
1: that's cat lily cooks but fi- um googling Kath- Catherine phipps will get you there as well
0: excellent So fantastic so you're yeah. easy to find I'm and would you find. would you start with with pressure cooking cookbook number one and work your way on to number two or can we pick up the new one and just get going
1: i'd go for the new one because the new one is a lot more comprehensive and what i tell people is that if you're a beginner um it will hold your hand right the way through the process and if you're um, not a beginner it should give you some fresh information plus the other thing i always like to say about that is that i felt very much like a beginner when i wrote that first book Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I kind of immersed myself in it for a while, but I hadn't been using it for that long. Um, And I've had, you know, a a decades more experience since. Um, And somebody, um, a chef actually recently said to me that they thought some of the stuff in it was quite brave and boundary pushing because it's so unlike the way you would normally use a pressure cooker, particularly with the amount of water you use. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I do think it, it will give people a much better idea of a pressure cooker's versatility.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. You have plugged that well. And I, I'm, I'm hovering, my I, I'm, I'm only hesitating over the World of Books website uh, because I'm wondering if I can go to a bookshop and help you out. But that's enough preamble. I need your decisions and I need them now. What oh, is, let's, let's start with a book because that's going to be the hardest one for oh you. Oh my you, goodness. You can't list 30 and then choose one.
1: Okay, well, everybody else seems <laughs> to.
0: <laughs> I know. I, oh, always I, say, I always say you're not allowed and then everyone does. Anyway, they say, oh, well, if I was allowed, I would choose la, 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 la. Anyway, okay, carry on. Just okay. do your book, do your book.
1: So, right, when it comes to recipes, I've got a pretty good memory. Um, I, I haven't got a photographic memory, but I can, I remember quantity. I I think it's this thing about cooking all day long. You remember quantities, you remember timings, you remember combinations, you do, you just, you know, it's there. So I actually thought I'm not going to choose a book for the recipe content. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose a book for the, for the writing. Yeah. Um, an inspiration. I mean, I, I think like a lot of food writers, I don't actually cook that much from my vast into the thousands <laughs> collection of cookery books. I read them and I'm inspired by them. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't often cook from them. Um, so that narrowed it down a little bit. Um, and then I got torn between two
0: Okay that's a really short shortlist. You can It have, is a very can, short list yeah, yeah. and it
1: could have been well actually 3 or 4 or 5 or 6. <laughs> or, well no. the thing is I'm I'm in my kitchen and I am surrounded by shelves of books and every time I try and pin this down I see another one and go oh what about that? <laughs> but um, okay for pure fun and the writing, I nearly chose the Alice um, Tockless, Alice B. Tocless cookbook, which is hilarious um, and gossipy and fun. But in the end, um, oh, you see, I've got two books, three books in front of me, and I still can't decide. Just close um, your eyes
0: and, and poke at one of them.
1: No. Okay, so I'm going to talk very briefly about the books that I know quite a few people on your podcast have chosen before and those are the Jane Grigson books because they are my bible yeah and you know they're full of good ideas but more than that they are full of really just the preamble the text the the you know you never know what direction she's going to go in you never know you know the history the you know talking about the classics and poetry and literature and um Little anecdotes. It's just they're just an absolute joy. It's as you know, it's like reading a series of short stories or something. Mm. I don't know, wonderful. Yeah. But I actually put that aside in favour of the book, which has probably been the most inspirational book for me. Um, when I was thinking about, even before I was thinking about becoming a food writer, but definitely when I did because of the way it's written Um, and I also thought it would be quite a good book to have on a desert island because it's about cold food not hot Mm
2: -hmm. I know
1: I know hot food really well I know Caribbean food really well especially Um, and there's nothing like being somewhere really cold and reading something hot or reading going somewhere hot and reading something cold Mm -hmm. so the book is Diana Henry's Roast Figs and Sugar Snow, Food to Warm the Soul, which I don't know whether it was her first or second book, but I think the reason I love it so much is not just because of the content, and I love that kind of cold climate food that Mm -hmm. it's about, but it's how she writes. She writes in a beautifully poetical way, which never gets too florid or purple. For me, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. it's always it's always um, there's always a lot of information there. You always learn a lot, but the way she spins it, the way she writes it, I mean, it's 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 just how I aspire to write, really
0: oh well so. there we go yeah yeah totally get where you're coming from there all right well that is I mean, brilliant uh, eloquently put and tell us the story of how you've got to that thought process and, and filled us in with that book and I'm looking forward to revisiting it I'm pretty sure I've got it on a shelf somewhere so I must go and pick it up and have another look um what are you gonna drink while uh. you sit there and enjoy that
1: Okay, well, do you know what? I don't really drink alcohol much anymore. No, no, That's like it doesn't have to
0: be alcoholic. No, never I, know, s-
1: <laughs> I know it doesn't, but I am going to drink alcohol. Oh! And, and that is because every time I drink this, it's like a trip down memory lane, and okay. it would be the best rum punch
0: Whoa, yeah.
1: And it can be made with any old rum, cheap kind of cask, moonlit rum, moonlighters rum, which is what we had in Dominica a lot. Um, But the key ingredient would be sour orange juice. Yeah. Which really makes it.
0: I'm with you. A good rum punch is a thing yeah. of beauty.
1: And, it, you know, I I just feel like I was there, you know, somewhere where there's nutmeg trees. I love nutmeg trees. I love the flesh around nutmegs and the scent when they're blossom and everything. It's just amazing. So, mm. yes. Uh,
0: that, that would be, be, the flesh would be, uh, is that mace, the flesh from a nutmeg?
1: No, it's oh, not. Okay. so um, That's a
0: fallacy that I've been told at some point
1: okay, so you've got you've got um, there's several stages to it. The flesh is a bit like the bit you'd get round well it's just the fruit the yeah. flesh is the fruit so you know it's it's a bit it looks a bit like a pale peach or nectarine I guess okay um, do you do you eat it? yeah, you can make really nice jam and jelly with it and it's and it's got the same kind of um nutmeggy flavour, but it's much more subtle, and you get all these mm. lovely floral notes coming through as well.
2: Wow! And okay. fruity notes.
1: Um, in fact, actually, that's one thing I love about being in situ somewhere. You get to appreciate elements of something that you know very, very well from your own cuisine. So, for instance, just chocolate and coffee.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Eating eating the fruit round uh, cocoa beans. Is one of the best things ever.
2: Wow. Um,
1: I love it. It's one of the most refreshing, fruity things. But um, no, so with a nutmeg, you get the actual nutmeg in the middle. Yeah. Then you get the shell. Then you get the mace, which was when it's on the nutmeg is a really bright, deep red kind of lattice effect around the shell. And then you get the fruit bit. Got
0: it. Well, there you go. What a relief! Um, I, I now know. I, I I thought for a minute there wasn't anything to do with nutmeg at all, and that I've just been like, "There's a complete moron." But I haven't, so that's okay. Um, but I, I know in the in the making of that statement, I found out more about nutmeg than I knew there was to know. <laughs> so that's exciting. Okay, so Rum punch, Diana Henry. Who are you gonna drop in it for a nomination?
1: Oh, blimey! So you know, you said anywhere. It didn't really occur to me. To choose somebody dead.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll get the Ouija board out, we'll crack on, yeah. okay, it'll be fine.
1: Okay, so I, I was going to choose someone alive, oh. but now <laughs> okay. I have chosen someone completely different. Okay, so when I was in the Caribbean, um, I carried a particular book everywhere with me, and actually, because I was going to and fro for quite a while, people used to say to me, um, people working in restaurants used to say to me, please, can you find me a copy of that book? And they were two a penny in places like ABE books or whatever. And I mm-hmm. used to kind of snap up coffee copies and take them back with me. And that was Elizabeth Lambert Ortiz, who wrote a brilliant book on South American cuisine and another one on Caribbean cooking. And it was my Bible for years. And I just think it would be really, really interesting to have a chat with her.
0: There you go. How about that? Figure from history. We don't mind those here. We like that. We realise the world is old and human endeavour is a brief flicker of life upon its surface. But it is littered with brilliant folk who are sadly no longer with us. Uh, And it would be nice to at least examine the idea of talking to them. So, well, good nomination there and a lovely story to go with it. And I can't help thinking a sneaky way of getting another book on the list.
1: <laughs> well, yes, that is true. Two <laughs> books, actually. There were two I mentioned. Oh, yeah. OK,
0: OK. <laughs> multiple, multiple extra books. I get it. I get it. I get it. OK, well, there we go. Um, What an incredible uh, chat we've had. Thank you so much for coming on for giving me your very precious time. I know you're a very busy writer tapping away at your... Uh, vintage keyboard there, uh, <laughs> and um, I am um, galvanised with excitement to go off and find myself uh, uh, a perhaps slightly less mud- rudimentary uh, pressure cooker than I have, and crack off with a bit of energy saving, flavour improving um, uh, pressure cooking. So thanks for coming on, thanks for talking about your book, and thanks for being such a good laugh.
1: My pleasure. Great fun. That's
0: brilliant. Well, look, I'll boot you off and um, make room for the next person.
1: Thanks, Catherine. Yeah. The best. My pleasure. Bye. Bye.